0: Welcome to Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Weldon. Today we're bringing you the next installment of the Wilderwood series. This is the first part of Chapter 7 of Book 2 of The Wilderwood, an original multi-part story co-written for you by Daniel Hines and Joseph Montebello. The Wilderwood is a fantasy serial, which means that it's a really long story that we've been telling in sections for a while now. If you haven't already, make sure to go back and listen to the first parts of the Wilderwood so you can get all caught up. If you would like to support Stories Podcast and get every episode ad free and two weeks early, subscribe to our Wondery Plus Kids feed on iTunes or your Apple Podcast app. We also have Stories Podcast merch available at storiespodcast.com/shop, and now we're on Cameo. Check us out over there if you'd like to get a personal video message for someone special. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Stories Podcast. If you send us a drawing of your favorite scene or character, we'll share it on our feed. Now here's a word from our sponsors. Hey, grown-ups.
1: On the Nintendo Switch system, there's so many worlds you can explore.
0: Like Hyrule, where I can fight enemies and save the kingdom with Link.
1: (laughs) That sounds adventurous.
0: Or my very own island in Animal Crossing New Horizons, where I can fish whenever I want
1: whoa look at the size of that thing you can find even more worlds to explore on the nintendo switch system games rated e to e10 plus games and systems sold separately
0: hey parents our podcast partner starglow media is running a special giveaway for stories podcast listeners from our friends at lego you can enter now for a chance to win a 500 hundred dollar lego gift card there are sets for all of your child's interests and even adult sets to treat yourself with. Here's how to enter. Either check out Starglow's Instagram page at starglow.media or head over to their website, starglowmedia.com slash giveaway to drop in your email for a chance to win. Winners will be randomly chosen on April 1st and announced on the Starglow Media Instagram. Happy listening! Thanks! Enjoy the episode! The Wilderwood, Book 2, Chapter 7, Part 1 The Wilderwood was all around, a swaying, blooming, endless stretch of forest. It was wound with plants older than kingdoms and filled with the myriad calls of creatures born of myth. It was the last kingdom, the green blur beyond the edges of all maps and Lachlan was shocked to find that he was starting to feel at home. It had been a long time since he'd felt that way. But now, the trees were starting to feel as secure as any castle, even though they were new and strange. The one on his left was bigger around than some of the villages he'd visited in the realms. Others were oddly slender and grew so fast you could see them getting taller if you watched for a minute or two. Among the branches and roots, animals crawled and flew and cawed and mewed. It was chaos—the opposite of everything the order of the Sacred Gauntlet strove for. Yet Lachlan was starting to feel that the chaos was something to observe, to understand, rather than something to control. The same was true of the group he traveled with. There was Nezzy, the elf girl. She was a druid, shy and quiet. But she was slowly coming out of her shell. They probably had Hark's to thank for that. Hark's was a fire sorceress, wildly powerful and, well, just wild as well. She still liked to tease Lachlan, but they were moving towards something like a friendship. Lumbering by Lachlan's side was Gothak. He was a young half giant, hulking strong and with one arm made of cunning bronze clockwork. Lachlan had thought him simple at first, but he was only quiet, absorbing everything around him. Right now, he was giving a shoulder ride to Waxham, the halfling prisoner. Wax was good in the forest, amazing with locks, and the best shot with a bow that Lachlan had ever seen. During normal times, Lachlan, a paladin in training, wouldn't have traveled with a thief, but these were anything but normal times. Along with this small group of friends the squire had grown used to, they were escorting a mass of tads and tasses, heading to the cave fortress that the frosker called Shimmerhold. It had only been a couple days since he and his friends had driven off the okar and saved the little ones, but the difference in them was amazing. The frog children had been scared and hungry when they found them, But they had eaten all the food the Okar left behind in minutes, and immediately their moods picked up. Even their slick, rubbery skins reflected the change. Their colors had brightened back to the blazing oranges, iridescent blues, and lemon yellows that they had sported when he'd first seen them, back in their home city, before the attack. Before Sir Rancier had betrayed the order, had betrayed Lachlan. But he didn't want to think about that. Lachlan walked in the lead, alongside Blennock. As the oldest Frosker of the bunch, Blennock had taken care of the little ones the best he could, and he was the only one who knew where they were going. Lachlan was surprised to find that he no longer saw the Frosker as silly or strange. They were people, like him, no matter how different they looked. And for a squire who'd done nothing but follow orders all his life, it surprised him that he felt comfortable at the head of such a strange little parade. He gestured to the little ones, tumbling and playing and singing as they walked. They've recovered so fast, he said to Blenick. The Frosker youth nodded and smiled a bit. The health of Eddie Frosker is tied to their spirit. We can't thrive when we're miserable. The Olkar didn't treat us terribly and they didn't really hurt us much, but seeing Edgewater burn and being tied up and dragged off as captives... He stopped talking and looked back over the little ones. I don't know how long we could have held on if you hadn't saved us. Lachlan gave him a friendly nudge with his elbow. Those kids needed someone to look up to, someone strong who could guide them. It would have been so much scarier for them if you weren't there. I think you saved them too. Blenick's smile widened, and Lachlan thought he held his head a little higher. I was just as scared as they were. But they thought I was the only one who could protect them, so I tried to keep their spirits up. Lachlan nodded and patted his shoulder. He was about to ask how much further they had to go when he heard a groan behind them, and then Hark's calling out, Nezzy? The group stopped and everyone crowded around, so that Lachlan had to wedge himself between the tads and tasses to see what was going on. Nezzy was sprawled on the ground, looking dazed. Her hands shook and Lachlan could see just a hint of green light in her eyes. It's the Wilderwood, Nezzy said softly, as Hark's helped her to her feet. Gothak towered behind the pair, ready to catch them. The big guy looked as concerned as Lachlan felt, but healing wasn't something that either one of them knew much about. What now? Wax said quietly, and Lachlan realized that he... not he waxes they, he reminded himself. They had slipped down to stand right next to him. They were so short that the squire hadn't noticed them among the throng of Tads and Tasses. Harks was leaning in close to Nezzy, and Lachlan could tell she was shaken just by the tone of her voice. She was telling me about that tree, a warble or something, and then she just fell on her face. The tree she pointed to was strange. Its long branches looked floppy, as if they should hang down, but instead, they were all lifted up towards the sky. Harks had Nezzy's arm over her shoulder, but Nezzy looked like she was coming to her senses. The green glint was gone from her eyes. It's the Wilderwood, Nezzy repeated, stronger this time. Something's really wrong. Wrong how? Harks asked. I reached out to that sorbus tree. I've never seen them before, and I wasn't sure if that's what it was but when I did, I could feel some other sorbus trees further away, and the ground. Something's hurting the trees and hurting the ground, hurting the wilderwood. She looked from Hark's to Lachlan. That way. She pointed off vaguely to the south, not at all the direction they were traveling. Someone's cutting trees for wood or something? Lachlan didn't know what else to say, He was worried about Nezzy. He knew she could connect with nature in ways the rest of them couldn't understand. Still, he didn't see how someone chopping firewood was really that big of a deal. No, it's not that. Someone or something is there. They're hurting the trees. Not just the ones they're cutting down, they're hurting other ones. For no reason. And they're tearing into the ground, and they're bad. They're dangerous. She closed her eyes and sang. To all who live in love, neath the leafy canopies,
1: the forest will give all it has of plants and beasts and trees, the wilder spirit sees. Beneath the green through fat and lean, the wilder spirit sees. Life may dance with death Yet no evil there will grow Except the cruelty and the greed That evil people sow The Wilder Spirit knows Your kindness or your wickedness The Wilder Spirit knows Respect the living trees The Wilder Spirit sees Your kindly nature show, the wilder spirit knows. Stray off the righteous path, beware the wilder wrath, the wilder spirit
0: knows. She opened her eyes and looked around at them. There's something vile in the woods. I need to do something. Harks looked confused and concerned, but Lachlan felt that the path was clear. We need to stop the warlock before the solstice. Your mother said Osla would tell us how, and that's where we need to be. This is important, Nezzy said, looking sick but sure of herself. I, I can feel it. We can't let this evil take root. Lachlan tried a different tack. Well, we can't go confront danger with a school of Tads and Tasses following behind us, and we can't just leave them in the forest. We have to get them to safety first. Safety is at Shimmerhold. Osla is at Shimmerhold. The path is clear. Blenick spoke up. I know the way, but I could take them. No, he's right, Nezi said. We can't leave them, even with you. If the Okar come back, Or if someone else came, one person can't guard this many little ones. She glanced at the colorful little frosker all around her. We can't all leave you. I can go and see what's going on, and the rest of you can get the little ones safely to the caves. I'll catch up to you after. Well, we can't leave you either, Hark said, and Lachlan nodded immediately. There was no way he would feel good about Nezzy going off on her own. She was his friend, and he would one day be a knight, a holy paladin of Orlam, and they protected their friends first and foremost. But I need to stop whatever is hurting the Wilderwood, and I need to know that the children will be safe. Nezzy spoke bravely, and that worried Lachlan a bit. He could tell she wasn't going to give in. They couldn't keep her with the group if she felt she needed to go somewhere else. Waxham leaned in. We have to split up. Some of us can go with Nezzy, and some of us can go with the Frosker. Lachlan noticed that Gothak crossed his arms and looked down. The big guy didn't like where this was going, but he didn't speak. He's thinking a lot more than he's talking, Lachlan realized. I'll go with her. Hark spoke with the same determination that Lachlan had heard in Nezzy's voice a moment ago. Lachlan had already learned there was no arguing with her when she sounded like that. I'll go too! Gwip's voice rang out over the murmuring of the tads and tasses, but Blennock held her back, squatting down to speak quietly just to her. Lachlan smiled at the little frosker. She was a brave one, for sure. I'll go with the kids. I won't feel right until I know they're safe. Waxham spoke shyly, as if they didn't like to reveal their feelings. Lachlan looked from the halfling to the half-giant and then to Hark's. You're gonna go with them, Lockie and Blunnick in front, Gothic and Wax in the back. Hark spoke commandingly, as if she were a patrol chief instead of a sarcastic fire girl. There's more steel to her than I thought, Lachlan thought to himself, even as he blushed at the silly nickname she gave him. All his new friends were proving deeper than they'd seemed. Still, Lachlan tried to think of something else they could do. He didn't want to break up the group, even if it seemed like the right thing. Well, maybe we could... Nezzy shook her head and grabbed Hark's hand. No, she's right. Two in front, two in back. Get them to the cave. We'll figure out what's going on. Lachlan's shoulders sagged a bit. It was clear that he'd lost this argument, and of course, Hark's could see it in his face. Yeah, we'll go kick some butt and probably catch up with you by suppertime. Hark's smirking confidence made Lachlan feel a little better. Okay, we'll do it your way. But come find us as soon as you can, and we'll do the same. Once the Frosker are safe, if you aren't back, we'll try and track you down. Nezzy nodded. Waxham passed the spear they had carried to Blennock and took the bow from their shoulder. Gothak hunched down until his face was close to the girls' faces, and he spoke slowly. Be careful. Take care of each other. Lachlan didn't know what to say. He didn't even really know how he felt. They were doing the right thing, he thought, but at the same time, it felt wrong. All he could manage was, yeah, be careful. Don't worry, Nighty-Night. I know you'll miss me, but I'll be back before you know it. Harks grinned wickedly at him, and Lachlan shook his head, smiling in spite of himself. We will, Nezzy said. I need to talk to Osla." But this can't wait. Let's go. The two of them set off into the woods, with a chorus of little Frosker yelling goodbyes to them. Gwip tried to sneak off after them, but Blunett corralled her back into line. Wax turned to Lachlan and Gothak and said, All right, the sooner we go, the sooner we can get back to them. Lachlan nodded, but he didn't move at all until the girls were out of sight. He took a deep breath, held it for a count of four, and exhaled slowly. It was the old calming exercise, his mind chanting the words. A stone withstands the storm serene, a mind that's clear, a blade that's clean. Yeah, he said finally. Let's go. The pain of the Wilderwood was with Nezzy all the time now. It was like a bramble, growing slow and sharp in her gut, and they were getting closer to the cause, whatever it was. She wasn't afraid for herself, not exactly. She knew there was danger, but she felt more worried about the forest. The Wilderwood somehow knew that she could help, and she felt like an invisible vine was pulling her onward. The forest wasn't just the trees. The douse roots and the belchweed and the choke petal flowers were all a part of it, but so were the beasts, the breeze, the bones. Even the air was alive with bloom skippers, busy little bugs flapping their bright red wings. When anything upset the balance of the forest, they were all affected. She glanced at Harks. The human girl was nervous because she could tell Nezzy was, but that was balanced against her natural curiosity about everything around her. Harks put on her best serious face and leaned in to talk. So tell me again about the sorbel trees. That's what you were talking about when you fell down, right? Sorbus, Nezzy corrected her. They're sobbing sorbus trees. They're more aware than some other trees. They can communicate with each other, and they can act to protect themselves when they need to. She paused a moment, pointing up at one. The thick trunk had smooth bark and was a grayish-brown color, and it grew straight up for at least 20 feet before the spot where the branches grew out from it. All the branches hang downward. Normally, they'd be hanging in our faces, and we'd have to push them aside. But when there's something threatening them, they pass the message from tree to tree, and they all raise their branches up in the air like that. While they were looking upward, there was a rustle beside them. A huge black bug, bigger than Nezzy's hand, crawled out into the open, walking on six legs with two little claws on the front. As the girls watched, it crouched and launched itself into the air. Whoa! Hark seemed startled and thrilled in equal parts. The bug went higher and higher, far above their heads. It came near one of the red-winged bloom skippers and snatched it out of the air. As fast as it had gone up, the big bug dropped back toward the ground. It held its meal up with one claw, and all of its legs were stretched out to the sides so it came down with a thud right on its belly. Quickly, it gathered its legs beneath it, then skittered out of sight under a bush, still holding the bright bloom skipper in its claw. What in the bugbear's breakfast was that? Harks asked. Those black bugs are called skyhoppers. They don't fly, but they can jump 30 feet in the air. They eat the bloom skippers, the pretty red ones. Well, I can see that, Hark said, eyes wide. I'm just glad they don't eat Harkses. The girl started walking again, Nezzy raising her clear voice in song.
1: Bloomberries blossom on the sorbus tree. Nectar for the bloom skippers, bright and free. Skyhoppers jump and skyhoppers grab, and then they feed the tree.
0: Harks clapped her hands a couple times. I saw all that, but I don't get the ending. How do they feed the tree? Nezzy had asked the same question when she learned the song, so she knew the answer. The ending is the beginning. When the skyhoppers catch their food, they bring it down into their burrows around the roots of the tree. The burrows help the roots get the air they need, and the parts that the skyhoppers don't eat becomes part of the dirt that the tree needs to grow. Hark's clearly understood Nezzy's point. They're all connected to each other, and probably to other things in the forest. And something that threatens the sorbus trees is bad for all of that, right? Nezzy nodded. Exactly. That's why we have to figure out what's going on. Lose the trees, and the bloom skippers die. Lose the bloom skippers, and the skyhoppers starve. And then you lose the dozen small critters that eat skyhoppers, then the even bigger beasts that eat those critters, and suddenly... The whole wilderwood is in disarray. Harks nodded. As they walked on, they noticed that there were fewer other plants. All the trees were sorbuses, and the bushes and flowers had been and the bushes and flowers had been hacked away. They didn't see any more skyhoppers, and Nezzy started to feel sick again. We're close now, she said. Don't move for a second. I need to listen. Harks was noisier than Nezzy. Humans just couldn't move as quietly as elves. When she stopped walking, Nezzy could hear it, a sound coming from ahead of them. It was a deep, low sound, but sad, like a young giant crying himself to sleep. Come on, Nezzy said, and she took off running, harks tromping along behind her. She started to see trees with chunks of bark cut off, the dark purple sap dripping from them like tears. The sobbing sounds were all around now, but Nezzy wasn't sure if they were out loud or just in her head. Suddenly, the sunlight was pouring down on her. She had come out of the path to a wide, clear area. The destruction was awful. There were stumps everywhere, as tall as Nezzy was, the sap dried to black all down the sides of them. Hundreds of trees had been cut down and carried away the earth bare and wasted behind, spread with a thick salt so nothing could grow again. Just as bad were the trees that were still alive. Every one of them had gouges cut out of their trunks as if someone had just hacked randomly at them with an axe. Several had burn marks on them. One of the tallest trees still standing had been set afire where it stood. The whole trunk was blackened. The branches had burned off and it sagged to one side. There was no doubt now. It was the sobbing sorbus trees that were crying. Nezzy couldn't help it. Tears streamed from her eyes. Harks caught up to her and stopped. Nezzy choked on her words. They weren't just cutting trees for wood. This was cruel. They wanted to hurt them, to destroy them, to ruin them. Who, though? Hark's asked, her voice shaky. Who lives in the Wilderwood that would do this? Nezzy shook her head. I don't know. There are lots of different people who live here, but I've never heard of any of them doing this. She looked into the distance. The path of destruction headed further on in the same direction they had been going. We're going to- Ow! Nezzy staggered forward. Something had struck her knee. She looked behind her and was shocked to find a dross there. The same kind of horrible branch creatures they had faced in the battle at Edgewater. They were made of corrupted plant matter, and they left decay in their wake. Nezzy grabbed for her wand while kicking at the thing. She connected, part of its arm crunching off as it staggered backwards. She pointed her wand at it. She held the wither spell in her mind. Planning to rot the branch man down to dirt, but apparently it only worked on natural plants. Instead of crumbling, the dross seemed to grow stronger. Its arm heeled over with a thick mass of bark shrooms that grew into place with a nasty creaking sound, like a branch in the wind right before it breaks off. Hark's yelled, Come on! Nessie thought she might be running away, but she saw that Hark's was shouting at the dross. There were more of them running up to her. She flicked her wrists and both her hands caught fire. The first dross leaped at her and she caught it in midair. It burned to ash almost instantly, but the other dross didn't notice. They just continued to charge. Nezzy turned so she stood shoulder to shoulder with harks as the horrible branch creatures charged. More dross were coming from a pile of the trees and branches that had been cut down. They were dripping with inky sap as they came. This time, Nezzy was ready. She grunted with effort as she focused on her spell, and magical knife-thorn bushes sprung up out of the ground, their long spines ripping the dross to kindling. One branch man had snuck up behind Hark's and jabbed the back of her leg with the end of its arm. The wood the creatures were made of looked rotten, but the dark magic that brought them to life also toughened their bodies, making them stiff and sharp. Hark's yelped, then spun around in a rage. She held her hand out and the thing's wooden head burst into flames. Then she grabbed it and tossed it towards the ones Nezzy had destroyed with the bushes. They crashed together and started a fire. But there were more of them appearing around the ruined trees, an endless tide of rotting, stabbing branches. There are so many of them, Nezzy said. She wished that her other friends were here and was thankful she had at least let Hark's come along. The sorceress staggered a bit, bumping into Nezzy, and Nezzy grabbed her shoulder to steady her. With her other hand, she pointed her wand at the massive dross closing in on them and cast the rooting spell. Many of the dross stopped short, their legs sprouting roots that dug into the dirt. They struggled free, though, snapping their own legs and dragging themselves forward by their arms. Ha! Shake a leg, boys! Harks laughed wildly plenty to go around. There was a grinding, cracking sound, and Nezzy turned, wondering what else could go wrong. There, beyond harks, a log that was ten feet long split its bark in several places. Shadowy vines curled around it as it stood up on end. The branches slithered over to it, forming the crude shape of a goliath. It took a step forward, and Nezzy shrieked. She'd never heard of dark magic that was this strong, especially when there was no one around casting it. The giant dross bellowed, its roar like a forest full of breaking branches, shattered stone. Something smashed into Nezzy's gut and she fell to her knees. More of the small dross had swarmed around her while she had watched the big one and they were whacking at her and grabbing her hair. Harks! Harks cackled, crazed, and shoved Nezzy to the ground. Nezzy was shocked but Harks knew what she was doing. She started to spin around, tapping each of the little dross around Nezzy with one finger, like a strange game of duck-duck demon. Wherever she touched them, a spark caught on their heads and burned down their bodies. She smiled at Nezzy, and her eyes seemed full of fire. Stay down! I got this! Nezzy wanted to warn her to be careful with the fire, but stopped herself. Fires in the woods were natural, but the dross were a blight, a sore of dark magic festering in the Wilderwood. Hark's pointed one hand at the mass of little dross and the other at the huge one. Ra! she shouted, and a solid jet of fire lanced out from both of her hands, blue and bright. The little dross disintegrated as Hark swept the line of fire over them. Nezzy saw that the giant dross was still coming, flames and all, and each step shook the ground. Hark's ray of fire started spreading out, losing focus. The narrow beam had become a torrent of flames blasting the dross, but it used one arm like a shield and kept coming. Nezzy was down on the ground, but that didn't mean she was helpless. She focused her power and cast her root spell again, this time at the giant dross. The huge creature stumbled. There was a terrible ripping sound as one of its feet tore itself apart, Still trying to get to them. Harks turned her full attention to the monstrous creature, the two columns of fire merging into one raging inferno. The creature started to smolder around the edges, but Nezzy saw that Harks looked sick. She couldn't keep this up much longer. Nezzy held on to the root spell as long as she could, and just when the dross was about to break free, she dropped that spell and immediately called up a mass of magic vines. They curled around the giant dross's arm and yanked it out to the side. With its shield gone, Hark's burned clean through its head and body. With a muffled roar and a burst of cinders, the dross collapsed into itself. Yes! Ha ha! Hark's was in her glory. She let her flames die down, but Nezzy could still feel the waves of heat coming off of her. The comfortable afternoon air felt as dry and hot as high noon in the southern desert. And the heat wasn't just coming from Hark's. The brush pile that the dross had come from was burning, and the fire was spreading along the downed trees. Behind the ruin of the giant dross, several of the living trees were flaring up with licking tongues of fire. The purple sap smoked and crackled and made the smoke smell sickly sweet. Hark's, we have to... Harks! But her friend was not listening, still consumed with the thrill of the battle and facing toward the burning trees without really seeing them. The fire in her eyes hadn't gone away. Nezzy was sure that if they were in a dark room, she'd be able to read by their light. Harks! Harks! She grabbed her friend's shoulders and shook her. Below her glowing eyes, tears were rolling down her cheeks, even while she still laughed quietly. Harks, we have to stop this. The fire's spreading. Harks seemed to come back to herself. She slumped down and grabbed Nezzy in a hug. Nezzy patted her back, but she knew they didn't have time to waste. The trees are burning, Harks. We have to put it out before it gets out of control. I'm sorry, Harks sniffed loudly, letting Nezzy go to wipe her face. It's okay. We did what we had to do, but now it's time to rein it in. Okay, what do we do? Nezzy looked at her friend steadily, trying to project a sense of calm and confidence that she didn't feel. I don't know if there's any water nearby, so I don't think I can do much. You have to get control of the flames and put them out. Well, I can't put this out. I started the fire. I'm the one who's out of control. Her voice was swinging from wild laughter to pure panic and back again like a pendulum. No! Nezzy's harsh tone got Hark's attention. You have to get control of it or the fire will spread. She lowered her voice. You can do it. You have so much power, but you can't let that power get the better of you. I'll try, Hark said, though she didn't sound like she believed it could work. The sorceress faced the burning trees and focused, arms by her side and fingers spread wide. Nezzy went to the burning brush pile and called up a mass of gray-green spirit vines. They weren't real. They were like ghosts, spirits of plants that had died. But they would work for what she needed. She carefully shaped the vines around the edges of the brush fire, then brought them up and twined them together. They formed a tightly snarled mess that was almost a cone shape. She crushed the vines downward onto the fire, suffocating it. When she released the vines, all that was left was a plume of sooty smoke rising from the ashes. She turned to Hark's, who was still struggling to get control of the fire. There's too much, Hark said. I can't get control of it all. Nezzy could see what she meant. The fire was still spreading from tree to tree. Then she had an idea. Okay, never mind all of it, she pointed to the nearest tree. That one. Control the fire just in that one and bring it down. Put it out. Nezzy cast her withering spell on one of the trees closest to the one she had pointed out, apologizing silently as it aged 200 years in the space of seconds and crumbled under its own weight, turning back to dirt that would feed more trees in time. Hark saw what she was doing. Nice! Now the fire can't spread in that direction. She was looking at Nezzy, But Nezzy was looking at the burning tree, which was suddenly guttering out. Its flames seemed to retreat into the wood, leaving the tree whole and just slightly steaming with smoke. You did it, Nezzy said, and she pointed to another tree. Now do that one. They worked for some time, Hark slowly gaining control of the flames in each tree, while Nezzy ensured that they couldn't spread further. If it was a windy day, we'd need an army of fire sorcerers and druids to put it out she thought. When the last of the fire was out, Nezzy noticed the quiet in the air. The clearing was singed and smoky, and some of the remaining trees were smoldered to ash. In her heart, though, Nezzy could tell the crying had stopped. I'm sorry, she thought again, wondering if the Wilderwood could really hear her thoughts the way she had felt its pain. We did the best that we could. As if in answer, she heard a small sound. What was that? she asked Harks, but her friend was too exhausted to even answer. Gric It wasn't far away and it was some kind of animal. Nezzy closed her eyes and listened carefully. Gric gric She rushed over to the smoldering ashes below one of the trees. Groggy but interested, Harks stood up and knelt beside her as she gently brushed at the dirt. Gric There was something there oval-shaped and smooth as glass. She had thought it was a stone, but it was moving. It was an egg. She lifted it gently out of the dirt. She and Harks leaned in close as a section of eggshell cracked away, revealing a tiny little face with big shining eyes. It looked from Nezzy to Harks and then chirped again, the rest of the shell crackling to pieces around it. Nezzy was left holding something that looked like a tiny dragon with no wings and metallic scales. It was about as long as her hand, from the tip of its snout to the ends of its forked tail. "'It's really cute,' Hark said, still sounding exhausted. "'Please tell me it's not some kind of a uh, hungry, people-eating monster.' "'No,' said Nezzy, remembering a song with a smile. "'He's a salamandrake.' Ancient eggs like embers glow,
1: waiting for warm winds to blow. When fires burning spread and catch, then the salamandrakes
0: hatch. I love him, Hark said. I hope I didn't hurt him with the fire. Not at all, Nezzy said. Like the song says, these are rare and old. Each couple only lays a single egg every year, and they bury them under a tree. The eggs are solid as stones and can lay dormant for ages. It takes a furnace worth of heat to make them hatch. Usually you find them after forest fires. grr the salamandrake said, looking at them both. Little puffs of hot smoke wafted from its mouth. It wasn't growling. Nezzy thought it sounded happy like her great-aunt's monk cat when you scratch the skin between its fingers. Lucky it was a salamandrake then. I could have burned him up. Hark sounded sad, but this wouldn't have been the first time her fire had burned the wrong thing. You saved him, Nezzy said. And you saved me from that huge dross thing with your fire. And then you saved the other Sorbus by putting the fire out. Thanks, Hark smiled weakly. So, did we solve the problem? Nezzy placed a hand on the ruined ground and let her magic wander. The trees weren't crying, but they weren't happy either. The dross had made them weep, but the dross weren't cutting them down. There was something else, something bigger, something that had brought the dross and was using them as a guard. Not yet. There's still something out here. Harks nodded with a sigh. The little creature crawled from Nezzy's hands to hers, and she stroked him gently down his back. You are almost crispy enough to be a side of fries, she said. Nezzy laughed and Hark smiled. I'll call you fries. You okay to walk? She set him down gently. The lizard stood up on his hind legs, his tails pressed to the ground. He stared up at them. It's okay. You can go now. Everything is safe, Nezzy said. She knew the creature couldn't understand what she was saying, but she reached out with her power, sending the emotions of safety and leaving. Hark's had other ideas, though. I think he likes us. He just hatched, right? Nezzy could see where this was going. Yes, but he's a wild creature, and he needs to live free. I'm not saying put him on a leash or anything, but if he likes us, you know, why can't he stay with us? The lizard swayed on his feet still grumbling his happy little purr. Nezzy noticed that his throat bulged out in a bubble when he purred, and when the purring stopped, the bubble went away. He is adorable, she thought, but she wasn't about to say that out loud. I just don't know if we can really take care of him. He needs to learn how to take care of himself, don't you think? The Salamandrake perked up and chittered. It seemed to Nezzy that the creature suddenly looked scared. He dropped to all fours and scurried away. What's got you all in a tizzy, she said. A moment later, she heard a monstrous bellow and a rush of flames. Hark screamed and then tumbled to the dirt face down at Nezzy's feet. Nezzy started to turn, but something smashed into the back of her head. She pitched over, feeling like the ground was spinning around itself. I'm falling into the sky, she thought and then the world went soft and smooth around her, dark as a moonless night. Lachlan spotted two Frosker guards ahead, where the path they followed led into a small dell. Relief flooded through him. For their part, the guards were not surprised at all when Lachlan and his group of Tads and Tasses came down the path. They must have scouts patrolling the woods, and they saw us, he realized the guards beamed and urged the group along toward their guardhouse and the little clearing in front of it. The house was simply constructed from spirals of tree bark, but he'd bet it could house ten guards comfortably enough, and it would keep out the weather. There were tree stumps set in a wide ring around the fire pit, and the clearing had been raked clean so that the soft, dark dirt was visible. The whole dell was shaded, and when Lachlan looked up, he could see why. Several of the large trees had been bent towards each other and were wrapped at the top. This wasn't the polished stone and grandeur of Castle Mount, but there was a militant comfort here for anyone resting that felt right to him. The guards had a smokeless cookfire going, and several of them gathered where the path came out. They handed a small gourd to each frosker and to Lachlan as well. He recoiled when the guards said it was spineworm juice, but Blenick laughed. That's good. It's not made out of worms. The spideworms like to suck the juice out of the Escava Ratindi bush's fruit, but spideworm juice is easier to say than Escava Ratindi bush fruit juice. Lachlan shrugged and drank deeply, finding the juice sweet and filling, whatever it was called. Tads and Tasses bounced past, running toward the smell of food and the familiar faces of the guards. Gothak started to follow, but Blennock waved them back. Rest! I'll go talk to whoever is in charge. Lachlan sat down at the foot of a tree, realizing that he'd never been so tired in his life. He couldn't remember the last time he'd slept. Waxham and Gothak sat down on either side of the squire, sighing and stretching. The halfling looked as tired as Lachlan felt. The half giant didn't seem quite as exhausted, but he grunted happily as he sipped the spine worm juice. The three of them sat quietly together, nodding thanks when a guard offered them each a roasted butterfish on a stick. It felt great to relax for a moment after so much adventure. Well, no matter what else happens, at least we got them here, he said. Gothak nodded in agreement. Waxham smiled a bit. Looks like we're getting the hang of this whole rescuing thing. Lachlan returned the smile and sipped his juice. He let his head lean back against the tree, not even noticing the bluish moss and dirt on the bark. He thought of Hark's and Nezzy away in the forest and wished they were there. All of them were a part of something, together, and it would have been nice to share this moment. I knew dozens of other squires in the order, he thought, but I've never had friends like these. His eyes were sore, so he closed them. Just for a second. (sighs) With a start, Lachlan sat up, realizing that he had fallen asleep right where he'd sat. The guards were still all around, but the sun had moved. It was later in the day. He stood up, stretched his back, and looked at his friends. Gothak had curled up in a ball on the ground like the world's largest hop fox, his breathing slow and deep and quiet. Wax, on the other hand, was sprawled like they had just fallen out of a tree. Snoring a bit and making faces in their sleep. Lachlan left them both to rest, and he soon found Blennock resting against a tree. A few of the little ones circled around him, running behind the huge trunk, then hopping over his head and continuing on in a circle. We have to get moving soon, we have to get moving soon, Lachlan said. No worries, we'll soon be back at Shibberhold. Blennock grinned. It's an hour's walk from here. No more than that, Lachlan shook his head. Good, but for me and Wax and Gothak, we have to go. Hark's and Nezi are still out there. The Frosker looked uncertain. Okay, I'll go with the little ones back to Shibberhold. Oslo will want to know what's going on, and all of us will feel better when the Tads and Tasses are safe in the caves. It wasn't a question, but Lachlan recognized the way Blunnock sounded. It was the way he used to sound when talking to Rancier, like he couldn't be sure of anything until he heard his master's opinion. And look where that got me, he thought. He stopped and looked the Frosker squarely in the eyes and said what he wished someone had said to him. You know the right course to take. You're a good leader. You've proven that, keeping the little ones together and getting us here. Don't let anyone else tell you what to do if it goes against your own values. Blenick nodded slowly, then smiled at the squire. Thanks, he said quietly. Just then, one of the guards shouted something in the Frosker language. Smoke, Blenick said to Lachlan. There's a big fire in the woods. He continued, starting to point off to the south and then letting his hand drop. Lachlan and the Frosker boy realized at the same time that the smoke was coming from the direction where Nezzy and Harks had headed. A guard paused by them. There have been flames coming from the south for days now, but none of them have thrown up this much smoke. Someone must be having a bonfire. Lachlan knew that a friendly bonfire was probably not causing the smoke. Not if Harks was there. He hurried to wake Wax and Gothak. They both sat up slowly, but as Lachlan started to tell them what was going on, they shook their sleepiness off and gathered up the few things they carried. Gothak limbered up his metal arm, the clamp hand sharp as an axe blade when it was closed. Waxham strung the bow Lachlan had given him, fitting an arrow loosely to the string. Lachlan turned and knelt so that his face was level with the tads and tasses. We have to go and see how Hark's and Nezzy are doing. We'll meet up with you back at the cave. Until then, you'll all just have to behave and take care of each other. Those girls are my friends, said Gwip, grabbing Lachlan by the cheeks. Make sure you bring my friends back, okay? I will. You promise? By my blade and bond, he said, by my shield and swearing. Don't worry, said Gothak. They are my friends too. Gwip nodded, turned to walk away then turned back and gave Lachlan, Gothak, and Wax all hugs in quick succession. That opened the gates and all the Tads and Tasses crowded in, hugging and wrestling. Finally, a short Frosker guard herded the Tads and Tasses away and into a loose circle. She had patches of gray mixing into the green and black of her shiny skin, and she was the oldest Frosker Lachlan had seen. Her long spear was carried sure and easy, as if she had been doing it for a long time. "'Don't worry, Squire. We'll escort the Tads and Tasses back safely.' Lachlan nodded his head as he approached her. He spoke quietly and firmly. "'You guards should keep patrolling and scouting, too. Don't send everyone back to the cave just yet. We don't know what's going on out there or what kind of trouble could follow us back. But since Edgewater, everything's been wild. Just stay alert.' The cave will be safer with guards out here, and you'll have room to fall back if you need to. Lachlan knew that he was a young squire giving orders to a guard with years of experience, but he also knew he was right about this. Blenick and a couple others can get the younger ones back to the cave from here. They trust him. The guard looked Lachlan up and down, then turned and spoke to the captain who had just come out of the guardhouse. The captain nodded, then looked from the guard to Lachlan and over to Blenick. Then, he locked eyes with Lachlan and nodded his head, signaling both agreement and a respect that Lachlan had never gotten from Sir Rancier. Maybe there's more to me than I knew, just like the rest of my friends, he thought. Lachlan turned back to Gothak and Wax, who were already discussing how best to find their friends if they weren't with the smoke. Don't worry, Lachlan said. We'll get them. Let's just get started. The others nodded. Lachlan drew his sword and led the way into the forest. To be continued. Today's story, part one of The Wilderwood, book two, chapter seven, was an original story co-written for you by Daniel Hines and Joseph Montebello, edited and produced for you by Andrew Martin, and performed for you by me, Amanda Weldon, with original songs also by me. Tune in for the next installment of The Wilderwood next week. If you would like to support Stories Podcast, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes, get ad-free episodes and early access when you subscribe to our Wondery Plus Kids feed on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Check out all of our merch available at StoriesPodcast.com/slash shop. Commission a special video on Cameo. Follow us on Instagram at Stories or simply tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Hey Prime Members! You can listen to Stories Podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad free with Wondery Plus Kids in Apple Podcasts. Grown ups, before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at slash survey. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to tell you about the brand new season of the podcast, Music Land Stories. Musicland Stories is a weekly podcast for kids that takes you on an adventure through the universe of Musicland. The musical Easter eggs and epic stories are sure to be tons of fun for the whole family. Take a listen to what's in store.
1: I'm the conductor, and now, on a brand new season of Musicland Stories, I'm going to take you all the way down to the ocean floor of the deep blue sea and I recruited a new crew of sonic expeditioners that I can't wait for you to meet. Together, we're on an underwater odyssey to capture the song of the last Leviathan, a giant sea creature who splished and splashed beneath the sea for thousands and thousands of years. Listen to the newest season of Musicland Stories, airing weekly every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.